Hello, and welcome to ID Podcast with your host, Roger. We're bringing the best discussions and conversations to you about identity verification, AML practices, and much more. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks a lot, guys, for joining. Uh, here's to the next episode of ID Podcast, and I'm joined here by um, a lot of people actually today because we thought, uh, you know, special circumstances need special uh, content. So um, with us, we have um, today um, uh, Jeremy Cantor, um, Stephen Armstrong, um, and uh, Peter Murray with Richard Williams as well on the line. So uh, uh, first of all, welcome to everyone, uh, and thank you very much for joining today. Thank you, Roger, for inviting us. Of course, of course. Um, and um, yeah, essentially, I mean, I just wanted to, to, to maybe start off. I mean, obviously, we have here um, people from uh, operators. We have um, Richard, who is our um, expert uh, lawyer. Uh, and we also have uh, here people like Jeremy and Peter, who have been dealing with regulation for a very long time. Um, so um, let me just um, start off and ask, uh, and ask first of all, um, what do you think uh, the, the the impact of this whole um, coronavirus um, that is um, essentially over us? Um, what what impact will it have on responsible gambling right now? Um, what what are the implications? What do you think might happen in the next few weeks? And uh, and essentially, how difficult is it really for operators to 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 work on that? I think, from my perspective, the answer is simple: is we we don't fully know at this point. I think it would seem to be some conclusions we could jump at, uh, you know, about the effect, obviously the stuff you can clearly see around the effect on revenues around sports betting, but then how that evolves into whether customers can migrate to other revenue streams and other products, uh, we've not seen anything come out of it. I think you're right to focus on the responsible gambling side and safer gambling now, because for me, the, the actions we take over the next say two months, could potentially define the next decade. We've got the UK Gambling Act review coming up. We're obviously highly politicised, quite toxic sometimes in its nature. So I think how we handle the fact that our customers are effectively in, in lockdown and your view on this is going to be critical um, to what's going to happen, I think, over the next certainly six to 12 months. I mean, from a from an operator perspective, I mean, there's obviously a question to you, Stephen and Ishvan. Um, how how hard is it really to when you're obviously onboarding players and 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 for your AML purposes? I mean, how hard is it right now to um, you know to kind of have the right um, things in place? And obviously, how are you maybe dealing with the situation right now? Um, I think you know, William Hill, we're we're fully remote from home. I I don't see that. But it's any different bar the fact that I'm not face to face with the teams. I'm not, you know, the teams aren't together. Um, you know, there, there is an impact in terms of, you know, reviewer thresholds and the type of customers that we're seeing in terms of, uh, in sort of, um, decision making points. However, I don't necessarily see that. You know, it's had a major operational impact because, you know, a lot of the verification stuff is done, you know, um, you know, in a way that you don't need just a human in front of a computer. So that's, that's the first point. Um, and, and in this world now, you know, with all of the technology and, and the remote way of working, you know, take William Hill, for example, is sort of, you know, AML work being done in the six different offices. 
you know, I'm, there's only two of us in London, you know, it's, it's no real difference for me, to be honest, in terms of how we'll manage the teams. And in that sense, obviously, there's no travel, which, you know, makes, you know, face to face difficult. But actually, you know, sometimes there's this big sort of perception that, oh, everything's going to ground to a halt because we can't get in the office. Well, you know, in some areas, I've seen higher productivity <laughs> across the teams from them working at home. So, you know, it could be said that actually there's less distractions and, you know, better work could be done. So there's there's two sides to it really. But yeah, I'm not really seeing an impact across my sort of teams. Um, obviously, we're seeing less sport customers, of course. Um, but it doesn't change the work being done. You know, a customer is still a customer. The product is a small part of what would cause that customer to to trigger thresholds within, you know, a risk-based approach. So for me, it's not necessarily a, a major change. It's just, you know, we're having to utilize technology better. And essentially, I mean, obviously, Jeremy, you are working uh, nowadays as a consultant um, in the gaming industry. And obviously, you are in touch with uh, many, many different people. Uh, I mean, how do you see how, how operators have, have adapted right now? And and uh, and what do you see are maybe the positives out of the situation um, right now that, uh, that we will experience maybe in the next few months? Well, first, the impact is really huge. It's absolutely huge. I see from clients, colleagues, and uh, partners that the combination of the increase, the, the tremendous increase in activity that operators are uh, uh, perceiving right now, because this is happening, plus the work from home, which increase also a lot of the productivity, apparently uh, at uh, everyone's uh, operations. And plus the, the, the huge amount that is being put by the regulators uh, that are uh, sending more and more guidelines, guidances, uh, laws in order to cope with the exceptional situation. This is uh, an impact that is it's probably something that has never been felt by in the by the industry in this uh, in this amount. The, the the amount of work I guess the whole industry is working at least twice more and and like concretely one hundred percent more than it was working uh, back, especially back end of January, beginning of February with ice. Every one of us traveling, meeting, hugging, and uh, everything. Now the, the, I can tell you that the impact is, is really tremendous. And th this is, this is just the impact in terms of workload and activity that is growing and how the, the companies, whether the providers, the suppliers and the operators are coping with that. But on the other hand, you have also exactly what you were mentioning, all those decisions about the future, what is going to be impacted and think at Think about a, a, a simple uh, element of the near future, two, three years from now, around the, the lottery uh, new license uh, in UK, the fourth license uh, for, uh, for the lottery. This is radically, radically changing the landscape of who is going to be able to offer uh, and, and how to offer uh, a new lottery product to the, to the UK population, but all over uh, lotteries are being all completely disrupted with this massive, complete retail closure and uh, realizing 
quite uh, underlaid that their uh, digital strategy have been waiting for digital and mobile have been waiting for uh, way too long. All those things are extremely, extremely uh, felt uh, over the the industry. So, so I mean, uh, just uh, just catching on that point and and to bring um, Richard in on this point, um, will we see operators? Um, essentially folding um because of coronavirus uh i mean what's what's the situation there richard what what are your impressions currently on the um obviously let's say the challenging um circumstances for maybe also land-based operations and and uh, and operations as a whole i guess uh yeah well i suppose you've got two different elements to this haven't you you've got the operators or three different elements you've got got operators who are purely land-based so you've got the uh casino the bingo groups who very much reliant on land-based for their income. You've got the hybrids, which are remote and land-based. And then you've got purely the remote operators. And it's interesting to look, I've been looking at the share price of these operators and statements made to the markets uh, in relation to the impact of that. Obviously, everybody's affected in some way by the sports betting, uh, the fact there is no sports to bet on. Um, And clearly, the land-based operators, particularly in the UK, where we've got complete closure of those premises are going to be hit very hard. Um, We've then got the hybrids. So uh, we've got people like uh, William Hill, uh, GVC, who've already made announcements to the market. Um, Their their predictions initially at the sort of height of the the start of the pandemic were to be very hard hit, particularly by land-based betting office closures. And with things like confirmation that the business rates uh, relief will will now apply to betting shops and casinos. That's been to their their benefit, and they've managed to mitigate costs. So we've seen announcements from GBC that um, costings that they thought and cash outflows they th- they predicted initially may not be quite that high. And in fact, some operators who have that hybrid land based and remote are looking to have sort of zero cash outflows. And then you've got the online o- only operators. So your triple eights who've also made statements to the market saying that despite the lack of sporting revenue, in actual fact, um, the increase that they've seen in casino and poker may actually substitute some of that revenue. It may not make up for it, but it may substitute for it. So in terms of questions um, about whether we'll see any operators go to the wall as a result of COVID-19, it's perhaps not quite as extreme as the sort of land-based pubs, bars, restaurants who would be immediately hit. But I, yes, I do think we'll see more of this. In fact, I'm not sure if it's related to COVID-19, but I think we've seen some uh, announcements in the press today about operators who are being um, hard hit and um, will be impacted by it. I think on the whole, um, large-scale operators who either have cash in the bank or who have credit facilities in place, which they're not drawing on, will be able to weather the storm We know about the furloughing of staff, the government help in the UK. We know about the business rates, holidays. We know if necessary, there are loans and deferrals of VAT and tax um, options. So from my perspective, I think some of the larger operators are going to be um, well well insulated from this, but certainly um, operators that were in any form of financial difficulty in the run-up to this episode will find that they will be at risk, yes. 
Uh, and when was uh, and when was it made um, public? Essentially, that um, the um, that the business rate reliefs were were also um, were also being applied to betting shops, etc. I mean, it wasn't like that from the beginning, was it? No, there was about uh, three or four days um, in the Betting Gaming Council uh, queried this with the government because originally the gambling industry was to be excluded from that help, or it would appear it was excluded from that assistance. The emergency business rate relief so it's a business rates holiday for a period of a year but it's now been confirmed i believe that um, that would also apply to um, all leisure premises so it could include betting offices and uh, casinos bingo halls and so on well i mean obviously we 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 know the media's or well some of the media's position on gambling and i guess that would have been uh, or is an easy target always to 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 talk about that i mean um literally today um there was um there was an article um about uh and, and i just quote it and that's essentially the title of the article fear of jump in problem gambling rep- um, a prompt backlash against industry um i mean obviously um you know, we, I guess, as, as, as people in the industry are happy for, um, for, for, for all, um, companies that are doing well under, under the circumstances. I mean, obviously applies to AAA as well. Um, uh, we're doing it well, but, uh, I mean, when you, when you see those articles, I mean, I guess it's a, it's an easy target to, to have something else apart from COVID-19 to report on or to write about. Uh, I mean, I mean, Jeremy, how, how do you see kind of, articles like that coming out um in in these kind of times do you think it's it's just gonna make uh let's say more people volatile against um against gambling and um and essentially might this be kind of like an escalator to 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 many many different other issues uh or or let's say um yeah response that we have i know i know how it should uh look uh like when people read those articles it, it should definitely be the message that regulated gaming regulated operations are the key to those uh, situations to those uh, uh extreme times where uh, everyone is much more uh, at risk at risk of harm, at risk of financial loss, and most of all the all the regulated operators, all the regulated providers, and the whole ecosystem that is regulated is working day and night in order to ensure that they are making everything in their power that they can to protect those players. Uh, for their own good, of course, and also, uh, let's be honest, for the perception matter that they do not want to be seen as exploiting those situations. So the BGC guidelines of not mentioning the, the crisis in the marketing or even guidelines like or laws like in Spain and uh, nearly coming like that in Portugal as well of no advertising at all is being respected if not to the to the letter uh, or even beyond the letter by the operators and the industry and those that are actually uh, celebrating are the operators that are not regulated, that are not licensed, and that will not have the enforcement 
of uh, the law by the jurisdiction and the regulators once the crisis uh, is over. And this is what those articles should help the industry or the, the government to understand. Just diving on that one, because I think there's a couple of interesting things just on the press and perception. And one's obviously where that article you referred to came from, which was the Financial Times, which doesn't normally get involved in in that level of debate that's left for other sections of the media. But the other thing over the weekend, and there was two things, it was how the betting and gaming council responded. And they came out both with messages. Um, it was an article in the Racing Post from the CEO and then Bridget Simmons came on BBC and it was much more combative, much more on the front foot, taking exactly what Jeremy's just said there about, uh, you know, unregulated uh, entities. It was looking at um, advertising. It was looking at quoting from facts. And I've never seen that before. I think, however, that's driven on, whether it was COVID-19 or the way the Gambling Act's coming up for review, the industry does need to get on the front foot. And they were, were certainly sort of high profile coming out, putting some some of the messages out there of the good that the industry does. And I, I, I think we've all been advocating that for some time, but certainly this weekend, uh, in line with that, they were they were pretty strong in their robust defence of the industry. And I think, uh, and I think just to obviously, you know, give, give, give them, obviously give the mic to the, let's say to the operators themselves, obviously to you, Stephen and Ishvan. I mean, in terms of, I mean, from what I can see is that there is a even higher uptake now from operators to an example, innovate, uh, to strengthen your, um, your technologies to support you within obviously decisioning, uh, within responsible gambling and within many other things. I mean, do you, do you sometimes think that this is, um, you know, always like, like hand pink, just, just, you know, specifically for gaming, because I mean, certainly from my point of view, I mean, I cannot understand uh, because in the after day you are doing, you know, sometimes a hell of a lot more than, than, than any other institutions that are obviously dealing with, with people. Um, so, 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 so maybe just impressions like from you, what, what do you think about those, um, constant, um, yeah, articles that, that always focus on the negative things? I think, um, I think a big example. Um, sort of touching upon the last bit of conversation and just that question is that, you know, gambling operators have also taken a hit here. You know, we don't have sport. So, you know, there's people that potentially will lose jobs come the end of this in our, in our industry. Um, but, you know, we, we held the virtual grand national and raised 2.6 million for the NHS. And, and, and that was quickly out of the press as soon as it went in, which is disappointing really because, you know, the operators that went upon that didn't make a profit on that. You know, we, we made no profits there. And, 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 you know, ultimately we raised a hell of a lot of money, um, to, 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 to the NHS, who are obviously the frontline fighting this, this pandemic at the moment. So that's the first thing. It's, it's the good news doesn't always stay in the news. And I think that's one of the, one of the issues. Um, you know, no matter if, and, and, to say this correctly, you know, pandemic or no pandemic, we still have licensing conditions and the operators that have built their risk-based approach out, their thresholds there that, you know, AML, RG, et cetera, in the right way can easily adapt in this situation to ensure that people aren't at harm. Either, you know, one of the big indicators is clearly going to be, you know, people spending all day online trying to gamble, you know, whereas before they might be in, in, in work, you know, uh, et cetera. So, you know, anyone who's built out a module that enables them to adapt that depend on their risk, you know, when you set all of these thresholds across your business, 
you know, be it for AMLRG, source of wealth, they're not a fixed threshold that then you aren't able to change. It changes depending on your risk. It will change depending on what sporting events are happening. It will change depending on, you know, what goes on in the world or, or certain countries, you know, is it a certain country that's higher risk that's going through a certain situation? So, you know, this is, this is a global pandemic that means that actually you're adapting in, in a, in, in one way in a sense. Um, but you know, somewhere like William Hill, it's easily adaptable because we have a, have a model that enables us to adjust our thresholds in line with, you know, what the risk is. Um, and these articles, you know, are tending to stir up that concept of, you know, we don't do anything responsibly and we're all one. And I think that's the biggest problem is, you know, a small unlicensed gambling provider is very different to the likes of William Hill, GBC, Kindred, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I think not enough of that is made in the press. Stephen, uh, if I can just react to what you said, you, you, you were complaining at the beginning that the good news are not staying long in the news. But the good news are, even though very important, they are marginal events because they are outside of the core of the activity. This is funding, of course, critical funding for the NHS, critical sponsoring of what is happening in order to try and help. But at the end of the day and at the beginning, it's not uh, your core job. Your core job is to offer entertainment and to protect the players. And those are the news that they would want uh, to see about uh, companies. What are you doing in order to make sure that you are adapting those uh, risk thresholds that you are mentioning and to protect the players. And I think it would be very dangerous for the industry to try and hide itself behind the news of sponsorship, of assistance and uh, good feelings and uh, emotions if they are not actively promoting how at the core of their operations they are Re, rethinking what they are doing and they are completely redeploying the, their operations in, in a new way. Sadly, that doesn't sell newspapers. And that's the problem with these articles. You know, it, it's true. You know, me, I could sit there and tell someone exactly what we've done since this pandemic started, what we've improved, increased, how our staff are working, um, resourcing, you know, you know, how we haven't, you know, I've got effectively, I potentially have more staff working on my online because I have no retail network. So I could tell them this to I'm, um, you know, gray and old and it won't get, it won't get published. And that's part of the problem. It's, it's good news compliance is not something that is going to hit the front of a newspaper. And, you know, that's our job as industry experts and these types of events, these podcasts, you know, um, I'll give Rasmus a shout out. He always loves it. But the SBC digital summit type things, them type of things that are, are for us to, to engage and hopefully some press comes out of that. But let's be honest, you know, the, the, the type of newspapers that are writing generally these articles that Roger mentions, you know, they're not going to write what we do well. And, you know, we can only keep promoting that internally. We use the BGC, we use the GMLG, we use the, the, the different forums and try and work with our regulators to improve that. But I can guarantee you now that's not going to be on the front of a, sadly, on a newspaper to show all the good things, all the good funding, resourcing, education, everything that goes on in all of these, you know, all of these operators, you know, it's there. 
We're trying to sell it. We're trying to show the world. But sadly, we're not going to get that widespread good news in them type of forums. Yeah, I, I just sad. So I think that's it's not William Hill's job. It's not Kindred's job. It's that you, you companies do some great things. It's the it's the BGC's job. And I think personal view is that the industry body's not been particularly effective over the years. This the change of tone over the weekend looks to be a lot more getting on the fr- front foot. And we can't, I, you, you, you bang on, we're not going to get any uh, any kudos from the press per se, but what we have to do is keep basing on fact. This is where research comes in so important. Um, but certainly those messages of what we do do, even if it's going to fall to some extent on deaf ears, has to be put forward by the industry trade body. And certainly in the UK, there seems to be that um, that change of tone over the weekend. So that, you know, let, let's hope that uh, has some resonance. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, perfect. That makes sense. And I mean, from from um, again, uh, Richard, I guess uh, it's 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 more on the on on the regulation side of things. I mean, um, do you think that all this will cause um, some sort of a short term decision in terms of regulation, or uh, or what are the chances of kind of that uh, that we stay in the framework as we are, or might there be some things that will get maybe kind of um, uh, I would say dealt with quicker than usually. Um, well, I think time will tell. Really, I think the Gambling Commission was very uh, came out very early and uh, warned operators that they would be expected to prioritise uh, responsible gambling during this period. Obviously, the risks were significantly higher with isolation, boredom, family issues, and also let's not forget people potentially were furloughed on lower incomes or will be facing uh, redundancy, loss of employment. And um, all of those things, as we know, can spiral towards problem gambling. So um, I think the Gambling Commission came out very early and warned operators about the issue, um, told them to place it in a prominent position in terms of their operation, not to take advantage of people um, in the situation that we're in. We've had recently announcements for the Advertising Standards Authority. They've set up a a hotline um, for any advertising for gambling operators that um, consumers think is preying on people who are vulnerable during this time. Um, So I think there's been a lot of an effort from the industry as well to make sure, um, A, that they do not get hit with the adverse press of of preying on people um, whilst we're in this situation and also being proactively responsible. So, um, you know, I don't think there is any evidence, as far as I'm aware, of, um, of, uh, you know, bad practice, uh, malpractice at the moment. Um, And I think time will tell whether the Gambling Commission needs to take any further um, steps. But, um, you know, as far as I'm aware, those sort of warnings should be sufficient to make operators um, be aware of their responsibilities. And Richard, I'd like to ask, because you mentioned about uh, those guidances and as well as uh, the affordability problem of of the players. And you have some bodies like the all parliamentary uh, party that is uh, calling, I believe, for a restriction to 50 pounds uh, deposit per players. And and we do know today that especially on cons- cost customer onboarding, but also existing customer, that a number of those players are potentially uh, in a much more vulnerable and financially weak situation where they lost their income, they lost their work, uh, and they they have difficult days uh, coming further. 
why wouldn't it be then uh, something sensible or realistic uh, for the operators to say until we do not know the situation of those players we should actually put uh, um, a concrete limit and and like a very strict limit like what maybe the appb is suggesting what do you think about that mm. well i think it can be uh, taken account of and i'm sure some operators are thinking about that we saw very early on i think it was in belgium where uh, fixed limits were on deposits or losses were imposed on operators from a very early stage so i think some operators will be looking at that the difficulty is of course that the operator doesn't all always know the full position about the um, the player um, some players may be completely unaffected by what's happened in fact some some um, individuals some businesses may be carrying on as normal if not in in uh, enhanced financial position because their outgoings will be significantly less i guess at the moment so i don't think you can have um, a rule of a strict financial limit for everybody i i do agree with the arguments that have been made in the past that you should suit financial limits to the individual and not just impose um, a sort of mandatory uh, fixed limit for everybody. Um, so I agree with what you're saying, Jeremy, and I think um, that is uh, sensible. But I think um, just picking a picking a number out of the air, as it were, um, perhaps isn't an appropriate thing to do. So the, the, the key is that the know your customer, KYC. Exactly, exactly. So back to you, Roger. Uh, I mean... Um, You know, we we're always we're always talking about essentially the um, the stuff that's going on to to do responsible gambling and not to let people um, you know spend money. But I mean, obviously, the money has to has to come from somewhere. And um, when we kind of um, looked at the data um, from 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 ID Now's perspective, uh, from from who for who or for whom we did the identity verification of someone. We saw a 40% uptake of uh, verifications for, um, um, for products like loans, uh, which means obviously a lot of people are looking at, you know, loaning money. And I think we're always talking about responsible gambling and there's only so much we can do from an operator perspective. So, I mean, I guess the question is out to everyone. Do you think that there should be more being done on also the financial services side on how to protect customers within, let's say, you know, payday loans. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, payday loans are or should be history, but, um, um, how do we, how, how do we make sure? I mean, as an industry that we give that message out to, to, to also different industries, like an example, financial services to do something on that. Because I mean, if you, if you look at that number, I mean, 40% uptake in loans uh, alone, and that's only the data from our side. And obviously the, the, there's some companies that do it still manually to this date. I mean, I would imagine this number is actually maybe slightly higher but i mean 40% is a hell of a lot of people if you if you if you look at the whole population essentially roger i mean we spoke about this in the past and and you know without the help from the financial services this whole affordability piece will be non impossible for any operator to get 100% right and even then it's still going to be you know we need the information they see the whole picture um you know if someone is spending all of their money gambling and not able to pay their bills, their bank can see that. And, and, you know, without that collaboration as an industry, I don't believe we'll ever be able to totally solve this, this issue. And, and you know, I, I, I've said this over and over again. Um, 
you know, we need their help. We need the information they have. We need to be on a level playing field in order that when someone, if we're going down the route of, of, of the way the regulation looks like it's going, then to enable us as operators to perform the best, you know, job, protect our customers in a way that would, you know, mean that we were meeting all of these demands that, you know, these, these, um, articles, et cetera, push out to us. We would need to have that information. We would need access to that level of detail that only the banks can see. You know, if someone's earning, I don't know, a thousand pound and their bills are a 900 pound, but they're spending 500 on gambling, we can't see that until they go to a threshold point. And, and we have to remember that we are still within a risk based approach. So how you would pick that customer up, some may say it's too late, but with the information we have, we have to try and set a risk based approach that enables us to one, be able to do these checks, you know, you know, they cost money, they're resourced, you know, these sorts of wealth type pieces aren't just, you know, you can run a, a, a nice formula and it spits out an answer, you know, it's human interaction into that. Um, so without the financial services help, the, the affordability question will always have a part missing. Now, every operator and, you know, the operators I, I, I work closely with in terms of the, the groups we're at, you know, from William Hill perspective, we're all driving to achieve the same, you know, goal. We are trying to solve the affordability question the best way possible. We've got some very experienced people leading it. We've got groups of, of operators working together like never before seen in our industry. Um, and yet, the same piece, anytime you ask one of, you know, someone in my position or, or, or someone who's a, you know, head of RG, it will always come back to the same thing. Without that help and without being at the same table as the banks, et cetera, then, you know, we're almost fighting part of a losing battle to an extent because we will never truly know that financial detail behind a person. We'll know everything else about them. You know, we'll know everything they do, how they do, but we won't know that spend of money. Now, we then get into a moral line again, which then says, okay, when do other industries have to do it? When does, you know, that become a point when I order, you know, a 12 pack of wine off Amazon Prime? Are they going to start checking that I can afford that? And I haven't already ordered 12 from Tesco's. You know, not that I drink 24 bottles of wine in a week, but, you know, it's about managing that, that, that level of, of, you know, when does it, when, where is the line? Um, and, and ultimately we're crying out to work with the banks as an industry and the financial services and they need to sort of, you know, start becoming more, um, more adaptable to that. You know, we see the, the, the entertainment band type thing on the, you know, the Monzo's we're seeing, we've now seen that rolled out to some, you know, more high street type banks as such. Um, but not all of them are doing that and not all of them are, are doing that. And, and to me that that's a good first step that shows they're thinking about it. Um, you know, if you test Monzo, you actually have to speak to an agent after you, after you've, you know, stopped that. You then have an interaction with someone if you ask to lift it, which I think is amazing. You know, they've got staff in Monzo that are trained to have them conversations to see if, you know, you, you, you know, that's the right thing for you. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And if other banks did that, as well as being proactive in them interactions and sharing information with us, then I think as an industry, we, you know, we, we'd quickly get it quite right. You know, we'd be, we'd be a lot better off. Okay. I'll just add a point to that, Rog, because I think the point's really valid. I think we talk a lot around collaboration in the industry from whatever, but that's generally internal. Yeah, that's our favourite C word, isn't oh, it? Oh, man, absolutely. But we, we are <laughs> so far ahead of where we were two, three years ago. 
the big operators, uh, both you know under their own steam and driven by the the regulators, are collaborating more than they've ever done. So if you're a supplier like you and I, I are, we can provide some of the solutions. And it, it's how you pull that all together so that how we can collaborate, and, and Steve's point exactly right, You know, look at the banks, uh, look at other industries where we could start sharing this data, but then we get back into the area of who would want to do that uh, with, a, with a gambling environment. So who's going to lead that conversation? Is it the BGC? Is it us as a, is it operators? Is it the regulator? Because the challenge, the single biggest challenge around affordability it's a really difficult one to solve. So I think that point of how we can engage or at least work better with the banking environment tied in with the identity verification stuff uh, is going to be key if we, we were meant to find something meaningful for an affordability perspective. So do you think, um, I mean, as an overall, we, we, we will have to, as an overall, uh, let's say, industry would have to all, well, not only this industry. I mean, it's not only gaming industry. I mean, obviously, what we're talking about right now, it kind of goes into everything, really. So, like, do you think the conversation is now more rather than saying, you know, financial services and gaming need to collaborate, that we need to think about, uh, like, kind of different ways of identity verification, of introduce new standards? Um, how, how do we kind of handle that? Because, I mean, as you rightly said, it's, it's, um, you know, how do you do it? Do you have groups of, of, of different industries going into that? Um, or do we kind of, um, go into new ways to, to, to solve a problem? I mean, obviously there is, um, I guess in this, in this time, you know, we all have a lot of time to think. And I think there will be some amazing solutions to come out of this crisis because, as we know, after each crisis, there is always a company that comes up with something amazing. Um, but do you think it would be something that we're going to have to, you know, think about new ways of identity verification? Is it is it outdated? Do we have to talk about a, I don't know, like an e-passport, like we said before? I mean, what 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 really is is that? That that whole federated identity where the customer holds the power of what's released is definitely where I see this. But this is a good way down the line. So the challenge for us all over the next months and years is we're not the same as everybody else as an industry. We do have extra challenges that we're going to have to rise up to and raise the bar. Um, but that where we'll end up in a few years time, I think will be very different from us. You know that both the technology and the data that sits behind it are going to going to move on a good few levels. I think in the short term, anything we can do to try and pull that collaboration uh, around what somebody's actually worth, not just what it says in the demographic of their postcode, but the strong KYC stuff that the likes of you guys will do is how we can add stuff onto that. So the challenge Steve and his family will have is there's so much data, what does it mean? Um, so there's no answer to that short term, but I do think... Uh, over, if we look back in 12 months' time, there'll, there'll have been some big changes implemented over the next six months. If I can just pick up on what Stephen said as well there, I, I completely agree. The collaboration on the financial services is pretty key, I would say. I mean, what do we know about people at the moment who are struggling financially? So they'll maybe be looking for a, a mortgage break. They'll be defaulting on lease payments. They'll be applying for credit cards. They'll be applying for loans. They'll be looking for ways to fill the gap in income that they don't have any longer. And if they are gambling when they don't have that money, then that's key information that the gambling industry should and could have. Um, and I think that sort of collaboration is, is absolutely key. I mean, if you were applying for a credit card, 
the banks wouldn't look at your application without knowing what other applications you'd made for credit elsewhere. And it's a similar thing, I think, to gambling, that that sort of information would be would be and should be critical in these decisions. But Richard and, and everyone, I, I, I hate to be the party pooper, although actually I do love it <laughs> to be the party pooper. Uh, the, the thing is that collaboration is absolutely, you, you are all absolutely right on the need and, and the, the power of collaboration. The problem is that until this happens and until if this will happen, the regulators still require uh, some actions to be taken. And we cannot just, you know, default on the, the lack of collaboration and saying that we don't have the information and uh, we don't have all of the information and, and therefore we cannot take any efficient measures. But this is what they still want to see and, and rightly uh, today and, and back to the, what would go in the articles uh, to, to help maybe improve the perception is, okay, taking in consideration the constraints and the lack of information that the operators have or not, what did, what measures did they take? What actions did they, did they do in order to help prevent the harm from the players? Did they, for example, block the bonusing? Did they block the VIP or froze the VIP schemes in terms of expiration time of the points, in terms of the, the loyalty programs and their encouragement to play more and more? What concrete actions, regardless of the fact that they might not have the full, the full picture of the financial situation of the player, just like the bank doesn't have also the full picture because bank is a free competition uh, model and a, a single player might have various different banks and that are not also sharing the information amongst themselves. At the end of the day, we are going to be investigated and, and uh, inquired by the regulators into what did you do and put aside your excuses what did you do to protect the consumers? And I think that those are the stories that the, that the newspapers, that the general public would like to understand. My points have been frozen with no expiration date. I have not been bombarded with bonuses. I have not been lured into gaming because I was a betting customers. Those are the stories I think that the, the public wants to hear. But, but I, th I think just to just to clarify, we're not from an operator perspective. We're not we're not saying that we're not doing any of that just because we're waiting on the banks. And I think that you know that that was a, an answer very specific to, to to the question asked in terms of of, of how we improve that. You know, solely talking about affordability. But you know, all of all of these other initiatives, you know, are business as usual. And I think that's the bit that everyone's missing is that for someone like William Hill, us to protect our customer is business as usual. It shouldn't be seen as a extra step we have to take all of the time. It should be seen as a, as, as, as a business as usual. You know, how we as an operator meet our licensing objectives, um, is, is in a way that, you know, protects our customer, um, is, 
is what we have to do all year round, not just in these type of environments, but also, you know, we, we are not, you know, we are doing the best possible we can with what's in front of us. Now, if someone asks, how do we improve that? Then there's only so far the industry can go solo, you know, on our own. We need that, we need that extra, you know, level of information to ask something specific like affordability. That's affordability is very different to responsible gambling. And also it's very different to AML. And I think that sometimes as an industry, we combine all three because we're looking for that, you know, that golden nugget answer that sits out there. You know, there, there are three different elements, you know, the elements and, and, and what you might find in an RG module around gameplay, you know, time of day, players' behavior is very different to then an affordability question on what can they afford each month after their salary and bills can they afford to gamble with? But that again only leads us to the question of, you know, there's an element of their salary that they can use to gamble with. However, we don't know what other entertainment or leisure activities they partake in. Therefore, you know, are we always going to be criticized? You know, because where does that line stop, I guess? And, and, you know, certainly from an operator perspective, we're, 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 we never, you know, we wouldn't walk in with a, a regular regulator and start blaming the banks. You know, we're selling what we're doing. We're telling the regulator. We're in constant dialogue with the regulator saying, look what we're doing. But I can't help the saying if I rung someone up from, you know, I don't know, let's pick a, you know, if I went from, from uh, a well-known newspaper, you know, I'm not going to name anyone. I'll start getting hate mail or something. But, you know, um, a well-known newspaper and bring them up and say, come and interview me. Let me tell you exactly what we've implemented at William Hill and how we manage our customers. They're not going to, they're not going to print that. They're, they're going to go back to the, 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 the cases that suit a wider conversation that, that sometimes we don't even get a chance to comment on. So, you know, it's not, it's not making excuses for what we can't do. We're actually saying this is what we're doing and we think we're working well and we think we're getting to a point that, you know, this is really making an impact now. But the next step would be this to ensure that we can take this further because there's always going to be need of that next step. That's never going to stop in something like this. It's never going to say, oh, here's, it, there's never an end line in something like affordability because the, 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 the line will always move. You know, people will constantly change jobs. People, you know, their situations will constantly change. And, and what we're actually saying is help us out a little bit so we can make this better because we think we're doing great. And we think that actually the people we've got on this in the industry who know their products, who understand their market are the best people to do it. But with a little bit more information, it would be a hell of a lot better. And I think it just, uh, it just again, obviously proves that, you know, what, what we've said at the start, I think the operators sometimes are unfairly um, criticized or picked on the wrong points because, I mean, as you rightly say, uh, you know, drama just sells better than, than like positive compliance news. I mean, and then after the day, I mean, who's going to open a newspaper and wants to look on the, let's say the fourth page at, uh, yeah, William Hill, uh, installed this, uh, really, really good, uh, responsible gambling, um, system. Uh, again, it doesn't, it doesn't please anyone's brain. I don't know how else to explain that, but it's, it's, um, uh, 
I guess, you know, the steps that we have to take as an industry, I guess, to be a little bit more upfront about what we're doing, uh, a little bit more upfront about um, the the measures that have been taken. I mean, um, I don't, Roger, I don't just think it's it's just our industry, though. You look at anything, you always, if you look at a newspaper or a website, you're going to see the bad news before the good news, sadly. That's just our, that's just the world we live in. So, you know, it doesn't just stop with the gambling space, you know. You're going to see, I mean, you, you, if you take, you know, what's going on at the moment, you, you're going to see the bad before the good. And, and I think that it's a reminder that, you know, when you do scroll down, probably when you use the apps and stuff, you go to the sort of second page of headlines, you do start seeing all the good news that's out there. Um, and, and, and hopefully this is sort of a, a jolt for everyone to, to look at how they, you know, do promote the world, not just gambling, but every other industry to see there is some good things out there. And maybe we all need to take stock of them sometimes and, 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 and push them to the forefront. I mean, we're certainly as an industry trying to do that. And as Pete said earlier with the BGC messages, you know, that's a totally different tone of voice now. And, and if we can build upon that, you know, as operators as well alongside that, I think that we might, you know, slowly start changing that. You know, it's a long road ahead, but. You know, I think it's certainly the positive start of something new, a fresh voice, a fresh way of, of, of you know, showing the good that happens. Yeah. I think it's just get that, get those messages and just be consistent, then back it up with facts. Because I think, yeah. you know, the the unfortunate truth is we're, we're not probably going to get the recognition uh, that we probably deserve for some of the initiatives. So back it up with fact, be consistent with our messages, have a single um, focal point for the industry, which I think we have now. And then your point, Steve, is it's bit by bit, slowly, you know, we'll start making inroads into that. And I think you've seen positive signs for that at the moment because all the all the companies that take that responsible approach are doing the right thing. You know, we need to just be focused on those areas that aren't and don't judge us all by, by that. But I think the messages are positive for, for coming from the weekend. And... Um... I think just uh, uh, just on the last point, um, um, today obviously today is the fourteenth of April, so uh, I guess a big day for for the <laughs> um, for the whole gambling industry. So essentially, from today, all credit cards are essentially um, uh, yeah forbidden to 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 deposit with, so are not allowed anymore to um, um, to deposit with those. And um, it's obviously, I guess, great news from a responsible gambling. Um, um, side of things, you know, that people, um, won't be able to use their credit cards to, to, to gamble because in the end of the day, if you cannot afford to gamble, you obviously shouldn't gamble. And that's, uh, and that's a big message here. Um, however, um, I essentially went on to try some things today. And, um, again, we're going to this, you know, collaborational side of things from financial services from different providers. Um, and this is not a tip to, to, to any gambler. So, um, please don't listen if you, if you are a program gambler, what I'm about to say. But, um, in the end of the day, if you have a credit card behind your Apple Pay account or your PayPal account, you will still be able to deposit money with, with, um, with your credit card. And that's essentially, um, hidden uh, behind those, um, systems. Now, um, I guess the only way really to, 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 to ban those, um, credit cards, um, you know, payments through different providers is to essentially do a proper collaboration, right? Or is there, or I'm, I mean, Stephen, from your side, from William here, I mean, is there anything else that you could do to, to, to stop the people, you know, depositing those things via Apple Pay or PayPal? Because as far as I'm aware, 
you, you are not allowed to see what the payment method was in that transaction. Uh, I think there is no means of way to do it. Well, a lot of the ways that the, the reasons for PayPal, etc., to, you know, the way it works is to protect the consumer's credit card details in a way that that point of contact is with, with, with you know, PayPal stores the, the details. Um, you know, we won't truly see the impact of this until obviously probably a few months down the line, how this, how this works out. You know, there's still ways that we know that guys can, you know, and, and people can move balance, cash balances into their current accounts on their credit cards, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, again, it will come back to if your model is correct in terms of your source of wealth and source of funds, then they will trigger and then we will obviously pick these customers up. You know, we can't, we can't stop someone from moving that money from a credit facility, you know, at that point they've moved it, but we should catch them at a point that our risk-based model allows us to. Um, and, you know, on our previous podcast, we'll, we'll give that a plug here, Roger, you know, when we sat down um, and, and spoke about this, you know, before it was, you know, obviously it came up quite quick on us, um, is that we, you know, we mentioned that that's just, that, you know, we're potentially going to move the problem to black market um, payment methods. You know, we could move it to ways of moving money around that lead to people facing more charges. Um, I think one of the biggest, you know, pieces, you know, William Hill did come out and say, you know, this isn't going to answer the problem. It might help some people, but it's not the silver bullet that's going to save the answer to the, the question. So where does it stop? You know, where will this stop in terms of that and types of, you know, prepaid accounts, etc. when we can't necessarily see what's being funded the other side. Um, so, you know, as we go through this process, we will see the outputs. We, you know, it'll be quite easy for operators to tell if there's obviously from today a massive increase in PayPal, you know, or pay safeguards or, you know, anything else that, that, that operators have, maybe other e-wallets, for example. You know, that would be pretty easy to, to see how we solve that is something that we would have to sit down with the with the guys, you know, from these companies and also, you know, understand what the regulator expects from us to do about that. Um, it's certainly not, you know, it's certainly not going to fix problem gambling. It might help some people and it might enable some people to, you know, um, not, you know, use credit facilities, you know, take the overdrafting with the new charges on overdrafts. You know, I think it's now 40% or, so, or something, you know, for, for overdrafts. You know, how do we, how will we know that someone's not using an overdraft and facing that, that type of charge? Um, you know, the, the question's endless in that sense. And, you know, um, I don't think we have enough time to really dive into that. Um, you know, cause it's, it's going to go on and on. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I personally, I see this as a, as a, as a first big step to essentially then ensure even more, um, that, that we follow, uh, you know, essentially regulations and, and guidance around uh, around responsible gambling. I mean, uh, Richard, maybe from from your perspective, um, as, as as you are the expert here. Um, I mean, how do we? How can we prevent those um, those things in the future, where essentially you have other means of um, other means of essentially depositing your money from your credit card, or would it have to be literally like a cross regulation across all sectors um, that, that would have to be created? Uh, uh, I mean, surely you must have had these questions a lot of times from operators, whilst whilst obviously kind of um, you know concurring with them about this. 
Yeah, I'm very surprised to when you said that that was the case. You could still pay um, deposit into an account with Apple Pay and PayPal using a credit card. But I think that was always flagged up as being a potential way around these restrictions. And in the Gambling Commission consultation, that was raised by operators saying, well, there will be ways ways around this. I've just flicked up the the new LCCP, which came into force today. So the LCCP says that licensees must not accept payment for gambling by credit card. This includes payments to the licensee made by credit card through a money service business. And presumably, both PayPal and, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but PayPal and Apple Pay would be a money service business in this situation. Um, And therefore, the obligation appears under the license, the strict wording of the license condition to apply to the licensee not to accept payment through one of those payment methods. Um, So there is a significant issue here if that is the case because operators potentially without knowing um, that they are breaching a license condition could be breaching a license condition by accepting payment from Apple or PayPal. Well, I mean, obviously, a very, uh, you know, a very, a very hot topic, I guess, and and I'm I'm sure I'm not I'm not the first who's who's kind of uh, you know tried the means and uh, and obviously to go through different things, but I mean, as I said before, I mean, the, 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 there's literally no way how how operators can look into that data um, because, as, as Stephen obviously said, like PayPal is something that that's to protect your your essentially you know card details from from obviously other companies, so. I mean, essentially, that that would mean that we would have to go in a wider group, I guess. And and I mean, from from a technology perspective, I mean, as far as I'm aware, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter and and, um, and Jeremy, I think I think there isn't I think there isn't a way, even with technology, how how you could how you could spot that because the data that you get from PSPs and obviously MSPs is is um is anonymized, and you can't see what payment method or where that money came from. So. In the end of today. So I was just going to think the inter- yeah. interesting point there is what Richard just said about if you read the regulation as it reads there, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be allowing it. Uh, whether that's going to be tested uh, by any of the parties involved, but on the face of it, it looks like that would certainly be the case. Yeah, I, mean, I don't say this would be, happen in practice, but um, in actual fact, if there is a risk to the operator of breaching that condition, then the way to resolve it is to say until we can be satisfied that the, those deposits aren't funded by a credit card that we would cease to take payments by PayPal or Apple Pay. I know that may sound um, unrealistic. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see the numbers. I mean, we tend to get bogged down in the minutiae of it, but does this make a big difference to the industry? I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it'd be interesting to try and find out how much... Uh, is funded by that sort of payment but that's i guess that's not a conversation for today but i think that's the point is that we won't truly know that you know as as we go through the weeks of this from from today onwards we'll start seeing that that data from an operator perspective of you know if there's large increases in certain payment methods then we, we will then you know work with them payment providers to ensure we are meeting our licensing conditions how that's done you know that's you know it's you know it'll be different for every operator um you know then conversations you know have been ongoing and and will continue to be ongoing with with all of our payment providers to ensure they meet a certain standard because we wouldn't want to be associated with them from a 
you know, from a from an operator perspective. It's just, you know, until we start seeing that data, we won't truly know the scale of that. And if it will actually be, you know, as as we spoke about when the consultation went back, you know, pretty much all the operators did raise that same question is how are we going to govern this outside of the straightforward credit card, you know, payment um, was always going to be the, the, the problem. And, and it's going to be interesting over the coming months to, to see, you know, how all of the operators either work together on now or individually adapt to that, that type of, you know, um, problem. If it does become a problem, I guess, you know, that it's, it's waiting to see what the, the figures show us. So, so I think, I think that's actually a cool, uh, a cool point there. So, uh, what I'm going to do is in the meantime, I'm going to somehow, um, try and investigate on that. So, um, and see what, what are those actual implications and, uh, and we can then essentially come back maybe, maybe in, uh, maybe in one or two weeks and sit down together. Um, but essentially, obviously a very, a very interesting, a very interesting, um, point because, in the end of the day, are we gonna in twenty twenty three? Are we gonna see fines being um, a fines being essentially you know given out to to operators that have accepted? An example, Apple Pay. In that time, it's obviously I guess a very a very valid question for the future um, in terms of uh, what what the um, what the um, UKGC is going to do. Um, so let's let's see how that pans out. So, um, but um, yeah, I mean we've we've already been. Um, on longer than an hour, um, as per usual, a lot to talk about. Um, it was a it was a pleasure um, to for obviously having everyone here. So all I can say, um, gentlemen, is um, thank you very much for joining, um, and uh, I hope you stay healthy, stay safe, and stay at home first of all. So uh, that's a message to all: stay home and stay safe. And uh, Appreciate it. Thanks, chaps. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Roger. And I, I just want to say it's not the same not being face to face. It's nice, yeah. but it's not the same. Yeah. Indeed, I know. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, hearing your smoky voice like in front of me just just is 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 uh, is even more pleasant than here. But uh, yeah, it's totally right. But uh, I'm sure we'll <laughs> you know we'll do it again soon. So um, yeah, I mean, thanks very much for listening um, to everyone. So as said. Uh, a lot of uh, valid uh, points made here. A lot of interesting topics, as uh, as always. Um, and um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. And until later. Thank you for listening to ID Podcast, powered by ID Now. If you like today's content, please make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and also on YouTube. So for now, thank you and goodbye.